welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake. Joining me on this special episode of the pod is regular Marcel Mathis and former coach of both myself and Marcel, Mr. Wolfgang Grabener. Wolfie, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Very, very good. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for joining in here. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. Marcel, we were just uh, chatting before we came on air about how funny it is that uh, how time has flown since both, well, I started working with Wolfie. I think we were trying to work it out, Wolfie. Was it 2000, either 2003 or 2004? Is that right? I'm pretty sure it was 2004. Yeah. Um, Marcel, when were you working with Wolfie? What years was that? I think it must have been like 2013 till 15, maybe roughly around that time. So uh, I think 2013 and 2015 already in the like GS Beat group, which was just with uh, the guys Reichelt, Maya Matthias, and you guys went to Janis, I think. Can that be? Yeah, that's actually true. That's true. That was uh, it's a long time ago. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, it's a long You're time. Much too fast. Much too fast. I remember uh, one of our first camps, just Wolfie turning up and giving us an absolute beasting on, in the dryland side of things. <laughs> it's like a, a welcome to the team baptism of fire. <laughs> yeah, it was different times, you know, in the different team. You you guys were really young and uh, I was a young coach, of course. And uh, But uh, I learned a lot this these years and uh, these times and I still you know it for me uh, the time with the British team I never forget and uh, I think honestly it was a really successful night I think from a pers- from a personal sp- perspective because at two- 2004 I would have been 18 nine, 18 or 19 and so yeah going from part-time still studying to going first time full time and, and sort of entering the real world of what it's like to be a, an athlete or you know professional athlete at that age was um was pretty was, uh, was a wake up call but i look back on it yeah and i'm saying i'm sure you're the same Marcel when you look back at those years of of like 18 19 20 years old skiing some of the best memories that you've ever had yeah i mean like back then nothing was a worry right so you can just do whatever you want to ski so that is definitely the best time you have in ski racing. Wolfie, what was it? What was it like? Because it was because that was your first time working with the Brits, wasn't it? So you hadn't worked with Brits before. What was? Had you been doing much coaching? Just in was it just in Austria? Uh, no, actually, I was the years before. Like uh, I was four years in Liechtenstein. Yeah, and uh, like we had uh, the first two years, we had an all right team. The, the last two years, I was more like uh, a bus driver than a coach. <laughs> like, uh, it was, yeah, it was just like, didn't make much sense, to be honest. Like, the team was not, not really good. And then I came, uh, Schweiger uh, made me the offer. And uh, I still think that uh, Schweiger Christian is one of the best coaches I ever met. From the first days on, like... Uh, I knew already that the British team was uh, was uh, rising up a little bit. And from the first days on, I really had a good feeling. And uh, I think it was professional how we, we worked. It, it took a little bit time uh, for everybody to find his place. But uh, yeah, I think it was a great time. And like we say, like in fist races and uh, on these stages, like uh, World Juniors ranking, we did not bet. 
it makes such so many big changes at that age as, as a coach it must be really nice to oversee that section of somebody's development as a coach yeah i think so uh and and for me like uh to have like let's say uh, a win in a fist race or in a junior fist race with a british skier uh or with a british racer was more worth than with an austrian racer because we had more and uh, uh maybe you you can uh correct me myself but i think also like having like a third place what we had in austria junior championships was for me like this as a coach the, the same performance as you have a world cup win with a really already good austrian ski racer you know i think you i did the same work there sometimes more even and uh for me it was a really important time to improve on and uh, to go to the next stage. You had a load of unruly Brits to try and shape into, into athletes, right? <laughs> no, actually, yeah. You were all your own characters. And uh, I think that, that, made it, that made it really well. And that's why I look back to these times and still say, hey, it was a really cool time. I never forget Jan. I, I never forget Dougie. Dave, of course, I've met Dave just in, in uh, this summer in Sasfe, and we always talk a little bit about these times. I think it was just a cool time and uh, important time. And like, I hope you guys learned something out of it. And I learned a lot out of it. I really got a lot out of it. I've, Marcel, I've got to tell you this story about uh, this, this time with Wolfie. We were at the, uh, we were at the training base, we have a place in Lofa. And it was the British Olympic Association base. And we used to stay there between camps and stuff. Uh, Wolfie, do you, know this, do you know where I'm going with this one? No, I'm not now. No. <laughs> and, uh, and we got, um, we were having a couple of days off. So we were left to our own devices and, you know, being teenagers. And we were having a few drinks and chilling out, playing PlayStation, doing, playing some cards, all of this sort of stuff. And we left... Um, we left the room, the sort of games room area, which was actually like the, the computer room slash classroom, but we, it was the games room to everybody that, that knew it. And uh, so we were hanging out in the games room. We left it a little bit in a mess. Uh, we'd also left the windows open. And this was the evening this massive storm rolled through the valley. And, uh, and it, didn't ha- it didn't give us, it didn't really help us out with our messy, the room that we'd left in a <laughs> And the next morning, the, the centre manager was showing around one of the sort of big wigs from the, the British Olympic Association round the centre. She was going around looking, saying, you know, this is the dining room. These are the lovely bedrooms. And she walked up to the teacher's room, you know, to the classroom, opened the door, having not been in there already, to just what was just a bomb site. And oh, <laughs> a week we obviously got ourselves in quite a lot of trouble and we got called into her office later on that day and Wolfie got summoned in as our coach to hear about the stuff we had. And she, and this, this lady is in there and she goes, yeah, it was so embarrassing. I was there with this so-and-so, whoever it was from the British Olympic Association and I was showing them around this, the centre and all of this. And I walked into, walked into the classroom and there was shit all over the floor. And Wolfie goes, hey, <laughs> Come on, guys, who shit it on the floor? (laughs) (laughs) Slightly lost lost in translation. 
which is actually <laughs> the best thing that you could have said because, because we just confused the whole the whole thing. We were obviously like, head in our hands, like, yes, very sorry, very sorry. You know, we're into one here, and Wolfie comes out with this this classic that we just everybody that just fell about laughing, and it was. Yeah, a little lost in translation moment that got us off the hook. But that is by far my favourite uh, story. That is, <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> but uh, do you remember, have you been there when we have been in Sassi and uh, the weather was not the best? And the forecast for the, for the last day was perfect. And we had a meeting and I say to you guys, please, <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I know where this story is. We go home tomorrow, so just be concentrated. We're going to do a good training day, go to bed early, and it will be perfect tomorrow. So in the morning before breakfast, I found out that the boys didn't go to bed. They went out with, Nor <laughs> they went out with Norwegian girls. <laughs> so I thought to myself, so what the fuck I do now? And... Uh, so I talked to Schweiger Christian, and Schweiger Christian is also quite a hardliner. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go up with them. As soon as they have all the gear outside, I say they should pack together and we go down again. And then we run up the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I did that. We went up, you know, like three stages with the gondolas and then uh, with the train up. And uh, then I said, no, boys, we're going to go back down. And they were looking at me, what the fuck is going on? Best weather, really good conditions. So we went down and I said, okay, uh, get your dryland gear on. And uh, we meet in front of the hotel. And uh, then I said, we're going to go this mountain up. I went up with the gondola, had a coffee and a cake up there and waited for the boys <laughs> up. <laughs> and then... We, we went down, I went down with the gondola again, and uh, we drove to Zurich, you you guys were flying from Zurich, and we missed the flight. <laughs> <laughs> I think and Jan Kochalski was saying, hey, to me, it's no problem, that's the credit card from my dad, yeah. and for the next flight, you know. A classic, classic Jan, dad, you've uh, got air miles now, use them. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, we were we were too slow running up that mountain slash slash too hung maybe too hung over to set a good pace. Yeah, so lo lots of good memories both on and off off the piste. But I I have a really good memory on myself, and uh, actually I I can't really I can't really tell exactly the story. But myself, <laughs> oh, do gosh. you remember when <laughs> when uh, when Andy watched video with you? Uh, slalom in Ushuaia. No, yeah, I can tell it. It's it's after <laughs> it's, it's after eight anyway. It's all the they all in, in bed anyway. Like uh, Andy Burlacher, which is now uh, men's head coach, was our uh, chief in 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 the in the uh, GS Speed Group, and uh, we were training slalom in Ushuaia, and uh, Reich Florian and me. We uh, did all the video stuff. And I said to Reich Florian, you know what? We're going to do something. And uh, Marcel was skiing down the slalom. And just before he came to a hairpin, I did a, like a two-second sequence from the Bourne movie in with overlapping. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
I remember that now, actually. I remember that. <laughs> and Andy, Andy is like, he was around 50 years these days, like I am now. And right, Florian and, and, and I said, okay, we're going to drink a coffee when they watch video. So we had a coffee and we were always watching and Andy was explaining him, you know, and before you go to the hairpin and now you come to the hairpin, you have to go over the ski. And then there was this small sequence of a porn movie and he was like, <laughs> my tail was, was looking, you know, what the fuck is going I, on? I, pro I probably thought that was the highlight of my run. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, I, and Andy was looking at us and we were laughing and he knew exactly what we did. And I said, no, no, no. I did nothing. It's just if you watch too much porn on your computer, it can, in fact, sometimes <laughs> <laughs> you watch it. You know that that's what that's what happens when you're out there in Argentina for about a, a how a one and a half month. Then you like come up with some <laughs> some really funny ideas. But do you remember that? Yeah, I do actually. That was really funny. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> we had we actually had really good times in Ushuaia, even though it's a bit of a shithole down there. But um, yeah. we had a really good time. <laughs> I think so, dude. Got to fill the hours with something. It's always good, like, if there is also a bit of fun and, uh, yeah, if you if you enjoy the time, you know, if it's not just training and uh, I think it's important. Well, it makes, it, I think it makes the, the actual skiing and the actual training a little bit more efficient, doesn't it, if, you're, if your guys are yeah. able to have a laugh and, and make sure then you focus when you're focusing, but the rest of the time you can actually enjoy yourselves and and have that good like athlete coach relationship because if it's too dictatorship or too, you know authoritarian sort of thing it's quite uh can be overly intense i think so too and uh i think it's like like you say i mean if you work for a long time together it always will be situations where you have a little fight or you have a, a bigger fight but i think important is that uh after a while, that you can look into each other's eyes and uh, and work in an, on the normal way again. Mm. You know, I think to respect each other is just really important. So, Wolfie, what's your role within the Austrian Ski Federation at the moment? They created a new group. Uh, they call it the World WC3 World Cup Three Group, and uh, this is basically the whole women's team is restructured a little bit smaller groups and this is a group now which should uh, do all disciplines besides slalom like uh, GS, Super G, uh, Downhill they should go into speed disciplines with a really good GS background and uh, it's kind of a project I would say it's the first year now and uh, I took over this group I think we have really good like like the staff is really good we have like uh it's me as a coach then there is a uh, phil david he's from south Tyrol, an italian coach then uh, we have uh, a trial and coach we have a physiotherapist and we have three uh, service guys for four girls so i think that's really good so they invest quite a bit of money but it will take a bit of time i think like i have uh one girl she's uh she won already two races, uh, Ramona Siebenhofer. Then Hase Ricarda, which comes more from GS. Two younger girls, which faced Nadine. She won the Europa Cup last year. And uh, so, yeah, it's quite an interesting uh, job right now. And uh, we'll see. 
you were with the Liechtenstein guys, then you were with the Brits for seven, six, seven years, and then you went back to the Austrians. Do you see like the way that you coach changing from nation to nation, or is it kind of skiing, skiing? I think uh, there is uh, also Marcel can say something to that. What I learned in, in the British team and uh, also Liechtenstein, but I think the British team was, was uh, I learned a lot more there, is we had like four guys in the team, five guys, six guys around that. And uh, these were the guys you had. And you had no, you, can't, you couldn't sort out and say, okay, he's not good enough, I take another one. And uh, you had basically to really coach these guys and if you were lucky, one or two made it up to the next stage. And in Austria, it was, I think, for a long time, because we had so many good guys, you could sort out. So you don't have to coach that hard, I think, you know. And now we're in a situation in Austria uh, where you don't have this, uh, this big range of, of good skiers, not anymore. Like, uh, not like in the 90s or in the early 2000s. And so now it starts again that we have to coach uh, more. I think it's for sure a little bit harder, but uh, definitely more interesting. I don't know what, what you think, Marcel. I mean, I definitely agree. It's, a, it's probably a really tricky situation for the Austrians because they're not, and I don't want to say talent, but people that are doing really well now, I'm sure there's like some talent coming up from the back, but I guess there's a fundamental difference between coaching a a British team and an Austrian team, right? Huh? Yeah, I guess the sort of the nurture side of things that is the, is what you're sort of alluding to there in terms of... Yeah, and also having like a different perspective on things, right? So it, having coached a UK team or a British team, it's fundamentally different. Like you literally have to coach a lot more than you would have in Austria back in the days. So I think it's really important for the ski team in Austria that they have coaches who have experience doing that because it is a very different situation right now. And then you have more and more coaches which work than in other countries, like our head coach is Peter Christian, which worked a long time, really successful in Norway. Uh, Kornberger Stefan took over the GS group, which is a really tough job, I think, uh, with the girls, who was really uh, successful in Norway as well. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's cool, you know, to, to, uh, it's it's tough for us coaches and I still think we have really good base on skiers I think we can't complain you know it's also up to the Fed and up to us what we what we do out of this situation mm-hmm. and uh, all like other countries they're not sleeping in, you have good go- coaches in Switzerland you have good coaches in Norway in Italy and uh, you know it's I think it, the only thing you can do is just uh, hard work and that's it. We, we've, um, we end up talking about it quite a lot on the podcast or on Eurosport or whatever when we're talking ski racing, the, the pressure that comes with being one of the Austrian coaches. Is that something that you are aware of or is that sort of deflected by you know somebody else within the federation or is that something that's like on your day-to-day sort of radar? I, I have to say, you know, like the, the pressure which I feel is basically uh, this one that I say I have a family and uh, I have to earn some money. 
But also this, I, I, I get to the side. I'm long enough now in this business. But I think that was not different in, 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 uh, in Great Britain. Because if you did not a normal job, or let's say a good job, especially with Schweiger, you had to do a good job. If you didn't do that, they say to you after one or after two years, uh, okay, thanks, uh, we take another one. And I saw that in the British team as well. And this is nothing different in, in Austria. I think what what I'm not doing is uh, that, of course, it's always good to have results. But sometimes you work really hard. You work as good as you did, like, maybe a season before. And the results are not as good. Yeah. And I think it, you can't base everything on the results. And I have, a, like, perfect example was, like, two years ago, it was my first year in, in the women's team. Schmiedhofer won the, the downhill globe. Uh, second was Menier and third was Siemhofer, which was a fantastic season. And uh, in, in Super G, we had second and so on. And the next season, we won one race and it didn't work out anymore, really. And then there is different components, which equipment, snow situations... The, the ski doesn't work on this equipment, uh, on this snow, or on these conditions so well as maybe in the season before. And uh, some, there are so many points. You know it, Marcel. If uh, whatever in, in the head doesn't work out so well as in the season before, whatever. And uh, so, and we did the same work, definitely. You know. So I think it's not always based on result. Of course, at the end of over years, you need to have results. But I think it's just important that, yeah, you do your job and uh, you do your job good when it's not in, in not so successful times and also in successful times. See some like crazy articles and translated some crazy articles from, <laughs> through Marcel with with all of it. But there's, it seem it sounds like it's you know, that's quite far away from what you guys are doing, which is obviously makes your job a little easier to focus in on actually making ski races faster. Uh, what I'm not doing is like, uh, certain was, we can say it how it was, it was a disaster for us, you know. And uh, I don't read any articles in newspapers and I'm not watching TV after a result like that because <laughs> it doesn't help, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know that, Marcel, if, if, if you have days like that, yeah, then... Uh, yeah, I, 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 de I definitely had more of those days than good days in the end. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're right. But uh, I don't know who's, who said that to me. I, I think I said that to you even. Uh, how many guys had a podium on World Cup? Yeah, like, I, I mean, that is... Uh, actually, this is quite funny. I saw that in one of those articles. I am uh, still the fourth most successful guy in the GS in the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, now, and then if you at how many races would fucking kill to have a podium on World Cup, you know? Yeah. And uh, you can say, okay, it was not... Uh, I think your, your, uh, your goals were much higher, of course. But there were so many guys... Which never but, reached what you reached. But, but what I have to say 
which I which I'm quite liking to hear, Wolfie, is and that might be coming from not working with the Austrians all the time, is like not always looking at the results. Yes, they count in the end, but I feel like it has been a long time where people have only looked at the results and not at the skiing itself. And I think that's at least a good progression into a good direction from the outside. Because if you look in like other, for example, ski nations, Switzerland or Italy, they have like racers who are going to be good at 28, right? So they have mm. to work with the talent they've had. And they, even though they might not be at the level in 25, so they still got supported or at least to a certain extent, which I do quite like. I mean, for me, it was time to leave, for example, but I knew that. But people can always can always overachieve themselves, at least with one season or whatever, or a couple of races. So I think that's a, it's a good way to, to see and see it like a bit more in perspective than rather just seeing the results. But I think, you know, it, and, and I'm not an example, but that happened. Because, uh, like, let's say you have, uh, like, the generation with Hermann Mayer, Stefan Ewart, and all these guys. Then you can sort out. You can say to one of the guys, okay, you're not top 15 in, in, in the world in, in two disciplines. You're not good enough. It's easy. And maybe, although I'm pretty sure I would have done the same, if you have this amount of people, I think you need to do it even. And now it happened that we don't have that many talents or that many really good skiers. So you have to force the other ones more and to push them more. Like you said, like it happened in Switzerland and other countries, which was very successful. I think that happened. And uh, yeah, that's, I think it's for us coaches, it's definitely, definitely a good thing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, at the British team, I think Dave Riding never would have made it in the Austrian team uh, to be a World Cup slalom racer. But a really great compliment to Tristan. He did an amazing job, a really amazing job. And he trained him. And of course, like there were all the other guys which were with him, service guys, uh, ski companies and so on everybody put it in a, a lot of effort in this guy and he himself as well and great story it's it's a, it it's, a, it's, it's a really inspiring story it's one I, I do love to tell to especially kids you know young kids to say you may not be the fastest now you may not be the fastest in 10 years but it doesn't mean that you will never be the fastest because you know, if you're dedicated enough, hardworking enough, uh, and sort of, I don't know, single-minded enough. I mean, sometimes that can be a, that can not be a compliment, but I think in terms of an athlete, single-mindedness is probably one of the best assets you can have. I think as a sports person, so all of those things work together pretty well. Hey, right, he was like in you know it in the young days. He was a really good chess skier. It was a really good slalom here. The only thing which I saw that these uh, days, or in, in, in when when he was on the team, sometimes he was really nervous second run, and uh, but how he developed is just amazing. And if if I look at you, Ed, like your slalom skiing was as fast as the slalom skiing from Dave. Well, a fair few years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but man. It, and uh, uh, I think sometimes little things make make then the difference. Yeah. How you, which ways you go. Or... Yeah, I, I think I just didn't want to do so many turns. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> but you had, you were gifted like in all disciplines, especially maybe chess was uh, not as as well, but super chi downhill and also slalom was really good. That was good. I do look back on those those days, you know, chucking on the short skis, chucking on the long skis, double sessions of God knows what mixed together. Uh, I do think it's really interesting the transition that the the Austrian skiing is going through at the moment, going from the might of Austria and through the nineties and into the early two thousands, and then you know watching watching Austria find its feet again, which seems really strange after so many years of mega results, and then uh, you know trying to find some, I guess, find something that they probably didn't know they needed to look for is really interesting. I guess the Swiss are on the other side of it now. They went through those those periods of having not necessarily the depth of, of the, the, the Austrians had. And now all of a sudden they're on the other side of that with ski races left, right and centre with talent coming out of their ears. Uh, and I think it, it will take a few years. You know, uh, I don't think it goes really quick. But uh, I think the, how they restructured everything, uh, it makes sense. Uh, I think, like you say, it's now we go through these times and uh, I think it's very challenging and uh, uh, I think it's a good thing, you know. Is and I understand other nations which say now, hey, look at the Austrians, they're not as good anymore. But I think that also should be a push for us uh, to get back on track and uh, get back on the top again. It's fascinating. I guess that's what they're trying to do with these smaller teams, like the, the one that, that you're leading at the moment with this sort of slightly smaller groups, trying to really nurture the athletes that are there and, and are already producing good results, but trying to make sure that they've got everything that they could possibly need to make that jump from being very good to being consistent world beaters. Marcel, how's um, you writing your column soon? Is that started? <laughs> I haven't decided if I'm going to do it yet. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I might actually, I might, maybe I should text him tomorrow and say I'm, I'll do it. I'm gonna get some, I'm gonna get some expertise from you as well, and then just go for it. <laughs> for, for who are you writing? Actually, one of the journalists for like uh, some Austrian newspaper, actually regional re- newspaper, asking if I want to do some column for him. <laughs> and I said, ah, well, okay. I, I need to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not a writer to be honest, but I think, I think in in general, it was actually quite refreshing to watch the first race. Um, I thought it was it was really good. Like I mean, obviously for the Austrian, it wasn't great, but in general, I thought it was really good to see skiing back with all the stuff going on around. How is it, Wolfie? Tell us, um, you know, what it's like with all the testing protocols and being actually on site in this crazy time. Yeah, it's quite a pain right now. It's like uh, I, I guess I have done like uh, at least between ten and fifteen tests already. And uh, how it was uh, organized in certain, like we, for training, what we're going to do is when we come, we do a really quick test. Then 24 hours later, we do another test. And uh, basically weekly, what we have to do. And uh, what they did in Sölden for the World Cup was just amazing, I have to say. Like uh, they split it up in three different zones. There was one zone was just for coaches and athletes and service guys. Then there was one zone just for the press and one zone was uh, just for the course workers. And uh, when you went into this zone with your accreditation card, you they scanned it in. There was your name on, your negative test, your negative corona test. You needed, uh, I think, uh, 48 or yeah, 48 hours old. You had... Uh, it had to be 
done 48 hours before the race. And uh, so the new executive went into the zone. And when you went out of the zone, they scanned it out again. So they always knew who was in the zone and who was not in the zone. And so after the race or like the day before already, you could do, you can, could went into your zone and then back to the hotel. So you were really in a bubble. And uh, I think that worked out really well. And I hope they can do it for Lech and, uh, and for the other races like in Switzerland and France as well. Yeah, because we, <clears throat> we just found out a few days ago that they're pushing back the Lech race two weeks, isn't it? Fortnight, they pushed it back. Is it just the snow? Is it just a bit warm out there at the moment? Oh. Uh, it's really warm. Like I saw some pictures from, uh, from the slope and uh, it was just not possible with these temperatures to get uh, a race-ready slope. Next week is still quite warm. It's stable, but warm. And then they hope uh, for some cold weather. And I think it was a good decision to push it back. There's space in the calendar. It wasn't like there's a rush to get this, to get it in, is there? Uh, no, in terms of the public and stuff, they're not allowed to ski at the moment, are they? So all the ski areas are just solely for you know, professional teams? Uh, right now, there is a complete uh, lockdown in the ski areas. There are no hotels open, no lifts open. And uh, there is for, we call it Spitzensport, that's uh, uh, the top sport in Austria. They have a permission from uh, the Ministry of Sport, actually, uh, to train. And uh, certain hotels can open, also lifts, or like you organize yourself with skidoos and uh, piss machines, uh, to do the time spot. Crazy stuff. How, how is that going to impact um, fist racing? I don't know if you know that, but that's obviously where the young guns coming through. Um, are they going to be affected by that? I think so. Uh, it's it's funny that you say that. Like uh, We were just like looking at Sult now, always the first fist races in Italy. And they are still on. And uh, the only possibility to it, I think, is that you do like team, cap- team captain's meeting online then uh, no prize giving ceremony and all that stuff. But I think it, it will be hard. And, but I think fist races will be more or easier to organize than Europa Cup races. Because in fist races, you can say you have an Austrian fist race and mainly Austrian ski races uh, will compete. In Italy, mainly Italian uh, races will compete. In Germany, mainly German races will compete. But in Europa Cup races, and you know there is not as much money involved than in World Cup, you have all the nations coming together. And I think this will be really hard to organize. Is the calendar scaled back? I mean, maybe you don't know, but I assume the calendar's relatively thin, which just means surely you're going to push everybody to... I heard the Europa Cup calendar is like from... I'm I'm not 100% sure. I think around 35 races to 26 races, still a lot of races. On the women's side, what I know, and uh, World Cup, uh, you saw the calendar is yeah. is quite good still. It's just like super combis and uh, the parallel events are cancelled, or most of them are cancelled. And uh, feast races, I think you need to find uh, areas which organize that. Will be tough. Yeah, certainly is going to be tough. It was actually really interesting to listen to you, Wolfie, um, understanding what the Austrian plans are. Because from the media, you don't really hear the insights 
only like what's from the outside. So I, I think that's very encouraging as an Austrian ski fan. Uh, hopefully you're still a ski fan. Well, cool. I, I, I am a huge fan. Ask uh, Ed, like we're always talking about ski racing. Yeah. 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 I think it's quite funny because I don't know about... I don't know about you, Marcel, but doing like this sort of thing or like the, you know, the regular podcast we've been doing over the last couple of years, it's made me so much more of a fan, but it's turned me into a fan as opposed to, you know, an ex-racer. Literally as well. Like, I mean, our, I really enjoy our podcasts all the time. And I feel like it, it's really good to not see it on like uh, some specific British or Austrian kind of glasses, but much rather see the whole thing, which is so nice as a fan. And I... I genuinely feel like it's nice if other Austri- if other nations are winning as well. <laughs> so because it's just nice as a fan, right? So you don't like I'm not gonna lie, but um, it's it's good to see some uh, industry inside as well, really. But you know what's interesting? Like I think we are still in a good situation uh, training wise right now. Like we can train in Sölden and uh, Hippach in Zillertal and Pasturen and so on. And uh, I got an interesting call today from uh, a good friend of mine we, who is British coach now. With the British skiing, and he says, "Wolfie, do you know any areas where I can go?" And I say, "I just know Schnarrstar right now." Uh, and for these guys, it's really hard, you know. And uh, and I compared it a little bit to our times back. For us, it was always harder to get good training space, like these days, right? Right time. Then for the Austrian team, for the Austrian team, if you come as a World Cup team anyway, uh, even Europa Cup team, no, no problem. But we had to push up net and uh, and help working and whatever, and uh, to training space. Grease a few palms. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, uh, and for these guys, it's 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 now the same. Like it's really tough, you know, to get really good training and. Uh, He's with Charlie Raposo and he searches for giant slalom and he maybe has to go up to Scandinavia to get some training. He gets some good pictures for his Instagram there. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little bit of a, in my age, a little bit of a pain in the ass, you know, this Instagram and this and that. Right, guys, that's all we've got time for. Thanks very much for joining me. Uh, until next time, goodbye for now. <laughs>